And for the rest of us, let's take out our outlines. You'll find them in your bulletin this morning. Today we wrap up our series entitled 40 Days of Love. Today we're going to be looking at the secrets of lasting love. I think I probably received more comments on this series than any other series that we have done to date. Um, it's been convicting, I must uh, say. I told you as we started this series that I thought I knew a lot about love, but I learned that uh, I've got a long way to go. And I imagine um, most of us are striving for that black belt in love, but we still have a ways to go. I would encourage you not to give up. Just keep on keeping on. Do you remember the changes, I mean the major changes that you went through in life? Um, when you first got married, that was a major change. Your first child, major change. If you've been married long enough that you now have the empty nest syndrome and your children have moved out of the house, major change. Some of you are thinking, it was wonderful. (laughs) But here's the good news. Whenever you're going through massive change in your life, there is one thing that never changes, and that's the unchanging love of God. Amen? He puts it like this in Isaiah. This is God himself telling his people. Isaiah 54, 8. I will show you my love. How long? Forever. Didn't we sing about that this morning? So says the Lord who saves you. And so the foundation of a stable life is knowing that no matter what you go through, the unchanging love of God will always be there. Now here's the catch. Are you ready for it? The same way God loves us, He wants us to love others. Ooh, I told you it's tough. This is a tough series. It's hard to do what God does for us, but that's what He asks in John 15, 12. I command you to love each other the same way that I love you. Well, what kind of love did God love us with? He loved us with a reliable love. He loved us with an unchanging love, a consistent love, a steadfast love. God has loved us with an unwavering love, an eternal love, and an enduring love. But is that how we're loving one another? I mean, just look at the divorce rate today, even among the church. In 2008, that's where these stats come from, of first-time marriages, 41% end up in divorce. Second-time marriages, 60% end up in divorce. Third-time marriages, 73% end up in divorce. It doesn't get better, it gets worse. How How do you have a love that lasts for a lifetime? Well, you love other people the way God loves us. Now, I want to do a little audience participation, but this is only for the married couples, all right? If you've been married 20 years or longer, would you stand? Just let me see who you are. We're going to keep this thing going a little bit. So 20 years or longer, I want to see that you stand. No applause, no applause. I just want to see who you are. And if I get this going, if if I say another number and you don't fit that, I want you to sit. But that's 20 years or longer, what you're looking at right now. How about 30 years or longer? Okay, good. 
How about 40 years or longer? Okay. How about 50 years or longer? Okay. I don't want to have a runoff, so just go ahead and sit down. <laughs> you, you may be seated. <laughs> He's older. Okay. <laughs> Congratulations. Now, for those of you that were just standing, it's been easy, hadn't it? It's always been easy. No problems. No frustrations. No. If you were to talk to these people, they would say it was anything but easy. It was often difficult to stay in love and to stick together. There were many, many times I thought, this is too hard. I can't do this. I quit. But you know what? Those people that were just standing did not quit. They continued to love the way God said to love. How do you overcome the deadly D's in a relationship? Let me just read you a few of the deadly D's. Difficulties. Disagreements. Differences. Discord. Disappointment. Defeat. Dead ends. Depression, delay, doubt, distance, death, debt, demands. Those are not easy. But every single one of the people that was just standing a few moments ago have overcome those deadly D's, D's and the greatest deadly D of all, they've overcome divorce. They stuck it out. They obeyed God's word. They did what God did for us. How do you have a love that lasts a lifetime? Well, the Bible says there are certain things you must never, ever, ever, ever do. And they're found in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 7. All four of these things. We've been in a series called 40 Days of Love, and we've been looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It says, Love never stops being what? Patient. That's a tough one, right? And then, it never stops, what's the second thing? Believing, trusting, that's another word for that. And it never stops, what's the third one? Hoping. And then it finally says, love never gives up. Has God ever given up on you? No. He says, don't give up on each other. Hang in there, even in those tough times. Let's take a look at the first one first. Lover, love never stops being patient. And in order for that to happen, point number one, here's your fill-in. Lasting love extends grace. To be patient simply means you're extending grace to someone else. No relationship is going to make it without grace. No relationship will make it without forgiveness. No relationship will make it without mercy and patience and acceptance. We've got to learn in our relationships to cut people some slack. We're going to have to learn to let some things pass. Have you ever had to give someone a pass? Has someone ever given you a pass? Doesn't that feel good? Giving and receiving. Well, you know, I'm just going to let that go. There was a write-up about me a year, a year or two ago, I don't know, remember, uh, when we were going through some major changes at this church, and it wasn't very favorable, was it, Keith? And you know, I read it one time, 
Someone else read bits and pieces to it to me another time. And Jane asked me, how did you feel about that? You know, I said, I read it once. It didn't feel that good, but I can understand where they're coming from. I was once that way. I get it. I just thank God I'm not that way anymore. And I'm going to pray for that person. I don't even know who they are because it's anonymous on this particular website. I just, I'm going to give them a pass. And I haven't read it since. Sometimes you just got to let some things go and give it a pass. And if I were to meet that person, <laughs> if you're out there and listening to this on the internet, <laughs> you've got a pass. And, and that's what God did for us. He's given us a pass. Love puts up with a lot. Would you agree with that statement? Of course. 1 Corinthians 13, 7. And, I'm, and Jay, uh, Kaysen, be ready to flip these really, really quick. 1 Corinthians 13, 7 says, Love never stops being what? Patient. The, the message version puts it like this. Love puts up with what? Anything. And then the New Century version says, Patiently accepts all things. And finally, the New Jerusalem Bible says, love always is always ready to make allowances. Now let's go back to the first one, patience. That's the key word here. You know what the Greek word for patience literally means? It literally means to cover with a roof. Would any of you ever buy a house that didn't have a roof on it? Not me. Because what does a roof do? It protects you and it protects your family from the elements, from the wind, the rain, uh, the sun. And, and then the Bible says, in the same way, patience and love covers your relationship. If you want your relationships to be covered, you've got to be what? Patient with one another. People, have you noticed, damage pretty easily. We do. We can break very, very easily. And so we need a roof over our relationships. Why is grace so essential to relationships? Well, let me tell you something, guys, because you married a sinner. And let me tell you something, girls, you married a bigger one. <laughs> and so by definition, there's no perfect marriages, right? I mean, if you get one sinner... Mary and another sinner, how can you have a perfect relationship? You can't. And so let's just acknowledge that right up front. We're sinners. Scripture's clear on it. Romans 3 verse 10 says, There is no one who always does what is right. Not even one. No, not one. Nobody bets a thousand when it comes to this thing called perfection. Nobody. Adam and Eve couldn't do it. You and I can't do it. 1 John 1 8 says, Now, if we say we have no sin... You ever had some relationships where someone thought they were perfect? Well, the Bible says you're only fooling yourself. The NIV says you're a liar. Liar, liar, pants on fire. You know, one of those type of things. So, don't even try. Romans chapter 15 verse 7 says, okay, now look. Since you realize up front you're going to have two imperfect people coming together in a relationship, cut each other some slack. Accept each other is what Romans chapter 15, 7 says. Accept each other just as Christ has accepted you. And so, accept your spouse, knowing that they're going to be imperfect, knowing they're going to be flawed. Accept them. P 
parents accept your kids, knowing they're going to be flawed, knowing that they're not going to be perfect. Kids, accept your parents, knowing they're going to be flawed, knowing they're not going to be perfect. There's no such, set, no such thing as a, a perfect parent. And kids one day, I miss our kids. They're, they're a Bible bull. This, they're in Mesa. I'm wondering, where's, where's our kids? A whole bunch of them are a Bible bull. Who's got a closing prayer? Whoever it is, pray for them. They're coming back today, all right? Let's keep our young people in prayer this morning. But those that are still here, the kids that are here today, understand you're not going to have perfect parents. And when you grow up and you have children, you're not going to be a perfect parent. And you're not going to have perfect kids. We live in a fallen world, so therefore Jesus says, now here's what you're going to have to do. Understand that, but then accept each other just the way that I accepted you. Ephesians 4.2 says, be humble and gentle with each other. Be patient with each other. Ooh, and I love this next phrase, making allowances for each other's faults. Why? Because of your love. There's some areas of my life where I'm weak. Jane's going to have to make some allowances. There's some areas that she's weak. I have to make some allowances. And in every relationship, it's going to have to be that way. We need to learn to make allowances. Can anyone say PMS? Every preacher goes through it. Pre-message syndrome. You know, I like to get here early. You know, and when we only had one car and my wife, you know thought she needed more makeup than I did. Hurry up, get out in the car, I need to get, because I like to get here a little early, go over my notes and kind of feel relaxed. And she just said, go in the living room and just go over your notes in there. But I can't, I mean, the car may break down on the way. I just need to get there. And then when I get here, I think I'm gonna have a little quiet time to go over my notes, have a little prayer. There's gonna be 50 million people and 50 million things pulling you in different directions. Every preacher goes through this. Actually, PMS stands for punish my spouse. Do you know the difference between a terrorist and a woman with PMS? You can negotiate with the terrorist. <laughs> now, now, don't write me. No notes on the cards this morning because men are just as, men are just as temperamental, 90% temper and 10% mental, right? And we all have our problems. We all have our hang-ups. And so the question I leave you with, with point number one, is this. Who do you need to show grace to this week? Some of you are thinking, my preacher for his poor choice in jokes this morning and illustrations. All right, I will accept your grace, all right? Cut people some slack. Number two, lasting love expresses not only grace, but it expresses faith. Faith and love go together because love is built on what? trust. That's what love is built on. That's why they go together so well. Now this is 1 Corinthians 13, 7b, the B part. Love never stops, what's the next word? Believing. The NIV says, it always trusts. See that case? The NLT says, New Living Translation, love never loses faith. And so here's a question for you. Do you think it is wiser in life to be a little bit more cynical with people, doubting of people, questioning of people, 
or a little bit more trusting of people. Now, if you would have said, I think it's probably the wise thing to be cautious, be a little more cynical of people, you would have been wrong. It's always better. As a matter of fact, studies show it's far better to be more trusting than cynical. And you can, you can look this up, Google. One of the things I looked at this week, I Googled it, is from a magazine called Psychology Today. And, and there's an article in there by a man named Dr. Julian Rotter called Trust and Its Consequences. And let me just give you a couple of true or false that I got from this. Trusting persons tend to be more gullible. That is false. As a matter of fact, trusting people turns out to be are less gullible. Trusting people tend to have a lower IQ. If you would have said true to that one, you'd have been wrong. That is false. As a matter of fact, they tend trusting people tend to have a higher IQ. Trusting people live happier lives. If you'd have said false, you'd have been wrong. It's true. Not only do they live happier lives, study after study tends to show that they live, live much happier lives than people who are cynical, than people who are always questioning, than people who are suspicious of other people. And so it's always better to be a little bit more trusting than a little too little trusting. And one of the key evidences of trust is your, willing, your willingness to give second chances. How willing are you to give a second chance? Oh, I left something in my office. Keith, would you go into my office? I need this for my illustration. Um, next to my computer, you'll find a little mug, a little cup. I, I, I need that. And while he's doing that, I will really drag this point on. Have you ever dropped the ball doing something? Um, any of you play sports in school? Maybe baseball, football. My, my, my sport was football. And um, <clears throat> we were playing uh, against Warren High School. And um, we had held them four downs, and so they were punting to us. And I was the deep to receive for Paramount. And the ball was coming right to me. Warren High School, that particular year, happened to have a great kicker. And he punted that thing up high. And he punted that thing long. And that thing was coming down perfectly for me to catch. But I was surrounded by the Warren team, right? So I called for a fair catch. No big deal. But I didn't catch it. Hit me right here, bounced off, they recovered. Fumbled the ball. Oh, was I mad. I was so upset with myself that when I ran off to the benches, I was just yelling at myself, biting my tongue, well, actually my mouth guard. And, and the coach comes over to me, and he, can see how, and he can see how upset I was, pats me on the back, says, Rokas, it's okay, it'll be all right, shake it off. And I just couldn't shake it off. I'm thinking of that. How could I have done that? Never done that before. Easy catch. Well, we held them for four downs, and, and now we had the ball. And the first play from scrimmage, guess who the coach called the play to be for? Me. I think, what's he giving it to me for? I just blew it. 
Why is he giving me a second chance? Because wise coaches know that the best way to instill confidence back into a player that's questioning his abilities, that's questioning himself, is to give him the ball on the very next play. And so he did. And I ran for about 20, 25 yards. And it felt really, really good. And I went on to play a really, really good game. After that, fumble. After that, mess up. Now, the next Friday, before the next big game, we always have a pep rally on Friday. We're all in the, at the football field, and the cheerleaders and the stands are full and everything's like it. And the coach would always give out a Player of the Week award. And this was it. I got it that week. It says... 1972, I was a junior in high school back then. Varsity football, offense, Paramount versus Warren, Bruce Rokas. You say, Bruce, you keep all your trophies? Nah, it's the only one I got left. And as a matter of fact, I had thrown them out over the years. This one I was cleaning out my garage a couple of years ago. This was actually in the trash can. And I was going to get rid of it, and for whatever reason, I don't even remember why, I just... Felt compelled. Nah, it's not that big. It's not. It is dusty. It's collect. It's, it's this has been sitting in my garage for years and years. I took it out of the trash barrel, put it back up on the garage, and then this past week, as I was coming out of the garage, I just happened to catch my eye on the top shelf, and I saw this. And you know what it reminded me of? Not just my fumble, but my coach giving me a second chance. And so, you know what, little cup, I'm going to dust you off. You don't have to stay in the garage anymore. I'm going to take you in the house. And every time I look at you, I'm not going to remember the good game. I'm going to remember the fumble and that I had a coach who was wise enough to give second chances. And that's going to remind me of a God who does what? Gives second chances. And that's going to remind me to be like my God and give what? Second chances from now on. See why I needed the cup? Isn't that good? Thank God for wise people. Thank God for people that give second chances. Now, if you want to build a lasting relationship, you're going to have to learn to trust. And some of you may be saying, Bruce, but you don't understand. I just can't trust my husband right now. I just can't trust my wife right now then you know what I recommend? I recommend that you trust God. I recommend that you trust that he knows what he's talking about when he says that love always trusts. If you can't trust them, trust your God. Trust that God knows what he's talking about. See, because God's ways aren't your ways. And once we understand that, then we become like God and seek things clearly the way that we should. In Isaiah 55, he explained this in verse 8. God says, I don't think the way that you, you think, and the way that you work isn't the way that I work. It's just, it's really the, have you noticed that Christianity, the Bible, is really oftentimes opposite from the world's wisdom? You know, give and it shall be given unto you. The world says, I ain't going to give anything. You know, when Luis got up here this morning and told that story about that man who was challenged to give and kept on giving, could he outgive God? No. But the world would say, no, if I give give it all to God, then there's nothing left for me. And God doesn't call everyone to do that, by the way. But in this particular case, he did. And did that guy make it 
Did God continue to meet his needs? Absolutely. The world would say that's crazy. There'd be more for me if I keep it all for me. God says, you don't understand my economy. You don't understand the way I think. Give and it shall be given unto you. Pressed down, shaken together, and what? Overflowing will I pour into your lap. You want an overflowing blessing? Well, don't hoard it all to yourself. That's not the way to get it. But the world would say, that is so dumb to give. My ways are not your ways, for as the sky soars above the earth, so the way I work surpasses the way you work, and the way I think is beyond the way you think. God says, I know what I'm doing. I know what I'm talking about. Will you trust me? Galatians 5, verse 6. The only thing that counts... Ooh, isn't that, that's a heavy verse, isn't it? I think we sometimes are too quick to run by the verse. Well, what's he saying here? The only thing that counts... Oh, I want to hear that. What's, what's the only thing that counts, Paul? Is faith expressing itself through what? Love. What's another word for faith? Trust. The only thing that's going to work in your relationship if you continue to trust each other and express it through your love. Lasting love extends grace. Lasting love expresses faith. And thirdly, lasting love expects the best. It's optimistic. It's not always looking to the past and all the mistakes and the failures. We know that's going to happen because we're imperfect human beings. But it's not stuck in the past. You know, people tend to live up to the expectations that you have of them. Uh, there was an experiment done. The psychology department got together with the education department, came to a teacher one year. He says, with this new incoming class of freshmen, I want you to give these instructions. I want you to say something like, and this is what he did. You're a new freshman class. You come in for the first time, and the teacher says this. I have never given an A in this class. Nobody has ever earned an A. This is going to be the most difficult class that you've ever been in. I think I've only given one B, many, many, many Fs. Some of you will drop out. What's he setting them up for? <laughs> Failure. Same group of kids, new instructions. Next semester. You know what? Every single one of you has the potential to make an A. Every single one of you has it within you. If you just try hard to do very, very well, there's no need for a one of you to drop out. Come see me. I'll help you at any time. I'm here to support you. First group, first semester, many dropped out. <laughs> A number of Fs. People just stopped trying. They gave up. Next semester, a number of A's, B's. Nobody dropped out. What? The expectation. And think about that in your relationships with the people you claim to love the, the most. What are you setting them up for? Failure? You're never, ever going to. You always. What are you setting them up for? We tend to get what we expect. Okay? And, and the Bible says the way to do it is to trust and to love and to expect 
the best. 1 Corinthians 13, 7c, love never stops hoping. The Living Bible, love always expects the best. The message, love always looks for the best. And so, my question is, friends, who are you setting up for failure with your nagging? You always, you never. No one's always and nobody's never. But those are words that we need to remove from our vocabularies. Love does not nag. Love says, I see what you can become. I believe in you and I expect the best. Jesus did this with people all the time during his ministry. One illustration. Do you remember a guy named Simon? Wishy-washy, say one thing, do another, always putting his foot in his mouth. Failure after failure. Jesus says, I don't see a wishy-washy Simon in you. You know what I see in you? I see a Petros. Petra. I see a rock. I see a solid one. And I'm sure the other disciples laughed. They were talking about Peter. Peter was anything but a solid one. Peter was anything but a rock. But what did Jesus call him? A rock. Jesus calls things that are not as though they are. He says, I see the greatness in you. I see what you can become. And on the day of Pentecost, who preached the very first apostolic sermon to usher in the church? With power. Peter did. And he became the leader of the group. Treat people the way you want them to become, not the way that they are. Well, I just tell it like it is. No, the Bible says, tell it like it can be. Breathe expectation, optimism into the relationship. Lasting love extends grace. It expresses faith. It expects the best. And one more thing. Lasting love endures the worst. It endures the worst. In other words, it's persistent. Lasting love is determined. Lasting love is diligent. It's resolute. 13.7d says, love never gives up. The New Living Translation, love endures through every circumstance. NIV, love always perseveres. The message, love never looks back, but keeps going to what? The end. In other words, it stays put. You know, when God wants to make a mushroom, it takes him six hours. But when God wants to make an oak tree, it takes him 60 years. Now, what do you want in your relationship? What kind of marriage do you want? Do you want a mushroom marriage or do you want an oak tree? I want an oak tree. When Jen and I got married, I said, we're going all the way till death do us part. Oak tree. There's going to be some deadly D's in there. But we're never going to do that deadly divorce. That word is not even mentioned at our house. It's not even joked about. The purpose of marriage is not just to make you happy. It's to make you holy. To teach us to grow up and to be unselfish. I had a guy come to me one time and he said, Bruce, can I, can I divorce my wife? And I said, well, what'd she do? Well... 
she wasn't completely honest with me before we got married about something. And this is a couple that's been married for a number of years, right? And I said, that's it? Well, no, you can't divorce your wife. Now, here's what you're going to do. You're going to go home, and you're going to grow up, and you're going to love your wife. Well, he gave me the dirtiest look. I'm not kidding you. But he went home, and he listened to me. And they are still very happily married to this day. He's never thanked me for that counseling and that advice. (laughs) But deep down inside, I'm sure he's glad he took it. Great people are just ordinary people with extraordinary amounts of determination. They just don't know how to quit. On March the 6th, 1976, Jane and I stood before a group very much like this. Our friends, family, loved ones, our preacher, and our God. And we made a vow. We said, till death do us part. And we took our vows very, very seriously. And from that point on, divorce was not an option. We took the divorce safety valve, locked it, and threw away the key. And we said, till death do us part. Divorce, not an option. Murder, well. But divorce, no. All right? Whenever I do a wedding, I'm going to be doing a wedding, I think, this Saturday, right? I always ask the couples I'm going to marry ahead of time. I said, you know, in light of the high divorce statistics, what, uh, what's going to keep your marriage together? And then I just sit and listen to all the love and the fluffy stuff, blah, blah, blah. And I go, wrong. The only thing that's going to keep it together at times, you know, love wears out. It really does. Human love. I said, the only thing that's going to keep it really, really together is your commitment that you make to God and to that person. Commitment will keep it together. I'm not big on poems, but I'm going to read a poem. Because some of you might be ready to give up, and I, I don't know. Maybe not in this audience, but maybe those that listen on the net. And this poem's entitled, I Want to Let Go, But I Won't Let Go. Let me read it to you. I want to let go, but I won't let go. There are battles to fight by day and by night for God and the right, but I'll never let go. I want to let go, but I won't let go. I'm sick, tis true, and worried and blue, and worn through and through, but I won't let go. I want to let go, but I won't let go. What? Lie down in the field, surrender my shield? No, I will never let go. I want to let go, but I won't let go. May this be my song, mid legions of wrong. Oh God, keep me strong, but I will never let go. Now, God brought some of you here today to say to you, don't do it. Don't let go. Don't give up. Hang in there. How do you do it? There's only one way. You need God. Because you can't do this on your own. It's too hard. You need supernatural strength to do what God's telling us to do. This has been a tough series on love. I want to do it. I want to get there. 
but I need the power of God in me. I need the mind of Christ. Philippians 2 verse 5, look at it on the screen. Your attitude should be the same as that of who? Christ Jesus. It takes Christ's love in you because human love wears out. That's why there's so many divorces. But Christ's love is what? Eternal. Before you can offer it to others, you've got to have it yourself. And to get it yourself, you're going to have to look to Him. You're going to have to go to God for this. And you may even have to get on your knees and beg for Him to do this change in your life. And so let's do that right now. Let's go to our Father. God, this has been a tough series. It's been very, very difficult. Learning to love is probably the greatest single lesson in life that you've called us to do, to be like you. Learning to love God with all of our hearts, soul, strength, and mind, and then learning to love everybody else like that. And God, it it seems that's why you put us on this planet. See, God expects you to do with others what he's done with you. God has extended his grace to you. Now he just wants you to do that with others. Uh, Easier than it sounds. And that's where we're going to God for help right now. Would you just pray in your heart right now? Dear God, today I am opening myself up in a way like never before. Put your love in me. Fill my mind. Fill my life. Fill my body, my hands, my feet with your love. Jesus Christ, thank you for loving me. Thank you for creating me. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for forgiving me. I want to become a mature lover like you. And I ask you to do in me and in my relationships what I could never do on my own. Help me to express faith and trust in my relationships. Help me to expect the best and help me to endure the worst, even in sickness and in health. In Jesus' name, amen.